0: Welcome to the Practice Purchased Podcast, where you'll learn everything you need to know to buy the perfect dental practice, all for free, and all in less than 20 minutes an episode. Learn more about your host, author, presenter, and coach to hundreds of successful dental practice buyers by visiting bryanhanks.com. Welcome to Practice Purchased, the podcast about buying your dental practice. We're talking in, in episode eight, we're talking about analyzing a practice for sale, and today, we're going to talk about the qualitative aspects of buying a dental practice. This is everything that can't fit easily into a spreadsheet. You can't benchmark easily against other practices. Now, the truth is you have to have both. In episode seven, we talked about the numbers. We talked about profit and ad backs and EBITDA. And we talked about all of the quantitative aspects of, of buying a dental practice. In this episode, we're going to talk about the qualitative aspects and it's, it's just a big mistake to only focus on one. Every once in a while, I'll have a buyer who comes to me and says, hey, I found a practice. These are the numbers. And we'll have a conversation about their goals, where they want to live. And, and I'll, <laughs> I'll be blunt. I'll say, what are we doing even talking about this practice? You don't even want to live in this state. And so in my mind, it's a huge mistake to only consider the qualitative, and it's a huge mistake to only consider the qualitative. So these two episodes, episodes seven and eight, have to work together in tandem for you to find a great dental practice, the right dental practice for you. Okay, when you're analyzing the qualitative aspects of a practice, uh, the facts are that you can get a pretty decent sense of a practice from afar. Google Maps is amazing. Demographics reports are incredible. There's a ton of information you can find for free. You can find without physically needing to be there under no circumstances. Will you ever work with me and buy a dental practice that you have not physically been at for a significant amount of time? You got to get boots on the ground. You got to get into the practice and you have to see what it is you're buying. Even if you're in love with everything you see on paper, you have to see it physically. Okay. So I'm going to give you seven areas to pay attention to. And in each of the seven qualitative areas, I'm going to give you a list of questions and I'm going to offer a few thoughts on some of the questions. Now, out of necessity, This section, qualitative by definition, can't necessarily have benchmarks, and it's harder to say what is right for you versus what's right for another dentist in terms of your goals and your aspirations and how you want to practice dentistry and where you want to live. So I'm going to keep things a little more general here, but I am going to offer a few tidbits and little tips and tricks that I've picked up along the way that will hopefully help you as you analyze the qualitative sides of the practice. Okay. So seven areas. And the first is what I call the family test. Okay. The first and most important aspect of the qualitative elements of of buying a dental practice is: do you want to live there? And perhaps (laughs) maybe even more importantly, is does your spouse slash significant other want to live there? You may be fine to live wherever, but you have to be able to pass the family test. Can you live in this state or this city or this neighborhood and have the kind of life that you want to live? Can you do what's important to you here? If you love mountain biking and you want to live in uh, Lawrence, Kansas, amazing place, not a ton of mountain biking that I remember from being there. Um, you You have to be able to do what's important to you. You have sacrificed so much to get into the career of dentistry That to then say you're going to spend the next 20 to 30 years in a place you don't want to be seems ludicrous to me. I would also ask the question about cost of living and whether or not the cost of living will enhance or detract your ability to achieve your goals, whether they're financial or otherwise. If you have the goal of traveling every year or being the coach of your son's little league team, and you have to stay open 7 days a week in the dental practice because the cost of living where you want to live is so high. You need to take things like that into account. So I hope I'm telling you things you already know. But item number 1, the family test is a monopoly rule. Okay? It's pass go or not. Do you collect 200 as you go around the board or not? It's pretty simple. Yes or no. I would start here, in fact, like we talked about when you're finding a dental practice, this you start with a qualitative and you work backwards into the numbers. Item number two, second thing to watch for, the selling doctor. Now, I would put interviewing the selling doctor as a high priority on my list of things for all my clients, all my buyers. Um, style match is important, yes, but it doesn't need to be exact. You kind of need to be wise with this category. And so here are some questions to ask yourselves: Is your personality, not your clinical, not your clinical personality, but your actual personality, similar, different, close. How do you guys match up? Because it's going to matter to your staff and patients. Your staff and patients are used to a certain type of personality. Um, if the seller is ultra salesy and ultra business related, and you tend to be more quiet and reserved, more focused on the clinical expertise, something to be aware of and something for you to how to decide whether or not it's worth it to move forward. You want to have, you want to find out whether or not you have similar values and philosophy on life and business. Okay. Yes. In addition to life and business and philosophy and personality, let's make sure you're a clinical fit. What does clinical fit mean? Every buyer I work with says they know it when they see it. It's like the Supreme Court definition of clinical fit. (laughs) You You will know if you talk with a seller and you see their patient charts, whether or not you're a clinical fit. If the seller is a wait and see on everything and you throw a crown on anything that moves, um, you may think that's a huge benefit and uh, your staff and patients are going to feel whipsawed. The other last piece that I would uh, recommend that you get a feel for with a seller is do you feel comfortable with the seller's ethics, the types of things they do as a business person? There have been enough examples of sellers that I have helped buyers analyze where they just, everything else works, but the seller's ethics. And they have enough worries that they eventually pull out of the deal. I had one buyer that I was working with. He uh, found out three days after he bought the practice that there were a number of uh, state dental board complaints that had not worked their way through the process and thus weren't visible to the outside world. And the state dental board showed up on his third day of ownership and went through top to bottom analyzing everything in the practice, despite the fact that the buyer had just bought the practice three days ago. State dental board didn't care. It was a huge headache. Okay, let's talk about area number three, a third area of focus on the qualitative side. And that is the, phys- the physical facility, the actual building and what that looks like. There's really no substitute for physically being in a practice. you got to put some boots on the ground because that reveals so much more than Google Maps. But if you're not physically there and you all you can do is look at maps and street view and those types of things, you can absolutely put an LOI in on a practice that you've only seen digitally. I think you can move forward. Take a look at the office. Take a look at the signage. What do you think of the physical appearance in and out? My What I tell my buyers is, um, I just have a, I have a very simple test. When I look at pictures of an office, um, I don't pretend to be an equipment rep. I don't pretend to be, um, an expert on office layouts and what's ideal and perfect. I just say, does this look like a dental practice? Yes or no. And then I have a second level of test, and that is, does this dental practice look like it had, you know, it's been, it had work done in the last 20 years or not. <laughs> and oftentimes the answer is no, um, Yeah, shag carpet. Anyway, you you get the picture. Um, I would ask myself whether or not major changes are needed to the building, and and whether or not it's going to cost you a lot to update the practice to where it needs to be. Whether or not ask if there's sufficient parking. That can be a big deal, especially in urban areas. And then find out the demographics of the area. You can get those. You can pay for a report, or you can get a lot of those details for free um, through various web sources and and you can check out my website to find out about those. Finally, ask yourself, would would you send your mom to this dental practice? If you can comfortably answer, yeah, she'd be fine, then chances are you're going to be okay too. I have yet to meet a buyer who is 100% comfortable with the office and the equipment. So inevitably there's going to be something you don't like. Don't let that stop you. Okay, let's talk about the fourth of the seven areas to pay attention to on the qualitative side, the equipment. And as you do this, I want you to be aware that there are tools out there. Okay? You can watch this process of analyzing a dental practice, both from the number side and the qualitative side. You can watch it happen in real time. You can, in fact, what I've done in the course that I've created was I, I give you the, uh, the course <laughs> the person going through the course, I give you the practice valuation as if you're a dentist buying a practice. I tell you, hey, here it is read through it and take 15 minutes and then come back and let's talk about this practice and how it works on the numbers and the qualitative side. And you get three examples like that if you go through the course and you get to watch over my shoulder as I look at these practices in details, including, including the qualitative aspects that we're talking about here. There's a whole tab on the qualitative process, including you know some benchmarks and things to watch for. Um, check it out, practicepurchaseblueprint.com. You get the first analysis is free. If that's all you want to look at, it's uh, I, I it's there for you. Um, you don't have to pay a dollar. Uh, you can go check it out. Practicepurchaseblueprint.com. So the fourth area is the equipment. You, um, this is kind of a, you know, can you perform the dentistry that you know you want to do? Does it, it does the equipment enhance or detract from your ability to perform dentistry? As If you're a recent grad or someone that's younger in their career, you're probably used to having the latest and the greatest. Uh, So don't despair if you're going to have to get some new equipment. That is normal. But just ask yourself, does the seller have the necessary equipment for you to be able to even do your work? If not, how much would it cost you to replace or buy new equipment in order for you to meet your own minimum standard of okay dentistry? Obviously, don't forget to ask, equipment's right-handed or left-handed. And then if you prefer open bay versus quiet rooms, find out, you know, what's going on in the facility. And then, you know, ask yourself, what do you notice about the non front and center dental equipment, the delivery units, the compressors, the vacuums, nitrous, et cetera. What do you see? Has it been up? You know, is it dusted off? Is it, you know, kind of grungy looking? Is it, does it look like it's been serviced recently? Um, one tip, especially with the equipment, is absolutely get in and see it yourself. But don't rely on just your own brain, your own knowledge of, of dental equipment. Um, call in a specialist, right? Uh, get an equipment rep into the practice with you. Now, this realistically couldn't happen unless you have submitted a letter of intent and you're doing your due diligence. So the sequence of events of getting an equipment rep into the practice probably means that you have submitted an offer and you've done an initial assessment of the equipment in the first place. So let's, that's good with equipment. Let's talk about area number five, the employees, the test, the, the staff, the team. This is a huge part of the goodwill you're buying. The, the team is huge. Could this, Yeah, you know, this absolutely could be one of the most crucial pieces of the dental practice you're buying. Your, this is your family away from home and um, you're going to need to meet them and assess them. Now, this again, kind of like the equipment and getting an equipment rep in, this is tough to do without a signed letter of intent. But um, think about these questions and whether or not you're able to answer them before you submit a letter of intent or after a letter of intent is signed, be aware you need to ask and get answers to these questions. So ask the seller, what does the staff think about the transition? The seller may say they don't know, uh, but ask them to guess. <laughs> How excited are they going to feel? Are they going to feel nervous? Will they be staying or will they be leaving? And um, I I love when buyers are brave enough to ask the question, if you had to fire one employee, who would it be? <laughs> There's always one. Uh, you really sometimes have to push a seller on that. Um, and, and don't be rude about it. Um, I would ask the seller what they think about the current level of salaries, benefits, um, existing employment contracts, if there are any. Ask the seller what he thinks or she thinks. And... Ask why other staff members have left the practice in the past. What's the main reason given? Realizing, of course, that you may not get 100% honest answers. Um, If you get a chance to talk to the staff, ask them lots of questions. Be a sponge. Ask them what they love about the practice. Tell them things you like about the practice, but then ask them if there are some things that they wish they could change. Do they see problems in the practice and what would they recommend changing? And then finally, ask them what their practice goals are. Do they have any personal goals or development goals? Um, I This is a telling, telling question. If you can ask a staff member what their goals are and they look at you with a blank look, well, first they fit, you know, 60 to 70% of employees in dental offices. But if you get the staff member that says, oh yeah, I've been working with Dr. Smith and she said my goals are bang, bang, bang and rattles them off, that, that is a good sign. Okay, two more areas to take a look at in the qualitative side. Second to last, area number six is patients and scheduling. You obviously want to know how far is the doctor booked out and how far is hygiene booked out hopefully hopefully um, they're booked out a minimum of 70 to 80 percent in the next two weeks at a minimum and this is going to depend a little bit on the type of practice we're talking about but i like to see dental practices booked out um, you know as much as a month uh, where there is a little wiggle room on the schedule for some emergency visits but hygiene can and should be booked out even further if hygiene isn't booked out, um, you need to ask yourself why and is there something that you know with reasonable certainty you could change to change that fact. Ask if there are gaps in the hygiene schedule and ask what are the primary sources of new patients? And the, <laughs> I tell you, you can ask that question and a lot of sellers won't know the answer. They don't have a clue where new patients come from. If they have a vague sense that's better than most, but still ask the question because you may be surprised with a good answer. Ask about internal marketing, external marketing, what's working, and ask yourself how you plan to attract new patients to this practice. Um, You can check out and get a pretty decent sense of an online marketing plan. If you remember, one of the first things I wanted you to look at was the actual office. But these days, almost if not more important than physical visibility is digital visibility. Take a look at the Facebook pages, number of online reviews, Google reviews, health grades, all of those things are important and frankly are low-hanging fruit in a lot of practices people are looking at these days. You can make some quick changes and see some big results. Area number seven is to look at the production in the patient charts. Um, hopefully this is a no-brainer. This tends to be the area that buyers are educating me. <laughs> um, you are and always will be the expert on your own skills and how they line up with the uh, you know, the type of production reports you're seeing in a practice for sale. You you do want to know what percentage of active patients pay with cash, uh, fee-for-service, PPO, Medicaid. Uh, Get get some reports and find out for sure. Uh, Vague percentages from a a seller may be okay pre-LOI, but post-LOI you need to have some exact numbers. Find out what percentage of total income comes from hygiene. 20% is a minimum. I'd like to see 25 or more. But that can depend a little bit on the style and of practice we're talking about. Um, I am always surprised that buyers need to ask this question, but ask if they have digital or paper charts. There are still quite a few paper chart offices running around out there. We looked at one today with a dark room, <laughs> which was amazing. And um, you know, fi- see if you can actually get into the patient charts. You, you won't see the patient charts unless you have a signed LOI and probably a bank loan locked in, but try to get a sense of patient charts. Um, look at, if you remember your statistics class, an N equals 30 is a minimum sample size to be able to tell uh, about a population. Look at at least 30 patient charts. See if you can read the notes, if you agree with the notes. And it's going to tell you a lot about the practice. Um, last tip that I'm going to give for you is to treat the office as if you're a patient. And this is, uh, you know, call the office after 8 PM, see how fast and if you get a call back, what the experience is like, how friendly the person is that calls you back and how quickly you're able to see the office or get into the office. The seller tells you they're booked out. Oh man, I'm booked out four months and you call and you say, you know, I just like the new patient, just hoping to get a cleaning x-rays. And they say, Oh, we've got plenty of open spots. How about tomorrow? How about the next day? (laughs) And that's something you could ask about. Um, but it's, it's a decent proxy to treat yourself, to, you know, call from a different number, but call the office as if you're a patient. This is a pretty good proxy for some of the qualitative aspects we're talking about today. Lastly, this is a complex process. If you just have a simple question, you want to ask me about the qualitative aspects of, of analyzing a practice for sale, you're always welcome to email me directly, brian at brianhanks.com, brian with an I, at brianhanks.com. Please tell your friends about the episode and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps others find the episode. And uh, thanks for spending time with me today. Thanks for listening to the Practice Purchased Podcast. For more information about Brian's best selling book, How to Buy a Dental Practice, or about the Practice Purchase Blueprint course, visit brianhanks.com.